Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. So one of our goals this year that we've been talking about as elders that we would like us as a church to grow in is purposeful discipleship and prayer of not yet believers. And so we've asked you to pray and identify um, at least one person that you would pray for daily each day um, on a daily basis that they would come to Jesus. And so I want to I want to have that in the back of our minds today as we as we talk about John chapter 15. One of the themes that we see in this chapter is prayer, um, and actually one of the sections that we didn't get to cover last week in John chapter 14, we didn't really get to discuss verses 12 through 14, also discusses this theme of prayer. And so what we see in the book of John is often he does this, is he, how he organizes his book is he kind of foreshadows themes and then he brings them to bear in the next chapters and kind of builds on them. And so this theme kind of gets started in 14, it's probably before that as well. Um, but then in 15, it kind of gets expanded on more. And then in 17, we kind of have the climax of, of we see Jesus' prayer for his people and for his family. And then... Um, And then ultimately it culminates in the garden and then at the cross with Jesus' final words of prayer to the Father. And so I want to go back to to chapter 14 and read a couple of those verses um, as kind of some context to look at. Because unfortunately what happens often in these verses as we look at these things is these verses have been pulled out of context and been used really to mislead people, um, which often leads to confusion confusion or or hurt often in people's lives. And so I want to read uh, starting in chapter 14, verse 12. And then we're going to work through some of these things together. So John 14, 12 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then Jesus says a few things, and he talks and promises about the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week. And then in the, the closing verse of, of chapter 14, 31, he says this, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So this is really Jesus' way of saying that, that his entire ministry, especially these final hours that we're going to see here in the rest of the book, are under the command of the Father. That the Father is, is overseeing, organizing the whole thing. Jesus will give his life. Jesus will become the bread of life. He'll become the water of life. He'll become the door. All those things we talked about. But the Father is tending to every detail so that his work will be accomplished exactly as how he planned it. Which is, which is exactly what we see here in chapter 15. Um, and Jesus uses this metaphor to kind of explain the same thing. So chapter 15 says this, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You already are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up 
And they gather them up and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And then here in verse 7 is exactly what we saw in chapter 14 again. It's reiterated. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Skip down to verse 16. I want to read that and then we'll, we'll talk about this for a minute. Verse 16 says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whenever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so Jesus talks here um, about bearing fruit. And he, he says that kind of the key, I want to make sure that we see this as we think about this, the key really starts at the order of where this fruit comes from, right? Um, over and over and over again, we see that the fruit comes after abiding in Jesus. It's not live a good life and bear fruit so that you can then abide in Jesus. No, it's, it's abiding in Jesus first, and then out of that identity, fruit is then produced. The fruit then really is a, is a proof, it's an evidence um, in your life that you're actually abiding in Jesus. It's not the other way around. And in fact, Jesus says it's actually impossible for you to bear fruit or do a life or live a life that is good without him. And so I want to make sure that we see that as we're thinking through that over and over again, there's an order to this. What we also see here in this idea of bearing fruit is that prayer is tightly connected um, to this. And the reason why we pray, why prayer is really so powerful, is because who we're talking to, right? We're talking to the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the sovereign king, the one who is all-powerful, who's over nature and who's over process, who's over human will, so that, so that, so really if that wasn't true, there really would be no hope in praying, Right? There will be no hope in praying for anything to change in our world or anything to change in a person if God's sovereignty over all things isn't true. And so the good news about prayer is we're, we're not talking to a person who used to exist. We're not talking to some dead, inanimate statue, man-made statue. We're talking to a living being. A person, not just some force out there, but a personal God who's over all and is controlling all. Now, as we think about that, that also presents some problems. Many people have struggled with putting together um, God's sovereignty with prayer. Right? And so if God is sovereign and if he's in control and he plans all things, and what's the point of praying then? It's just going to happen anyway. This is a good question, and it's one that, we, that many, many have, have, have struggled with, and also many have used as an excuse, rather than actually a legitimate theological argument. But one I think that we should talk about. So what, what do you think? Why should we pray if God is in control of everything, if he's already planned it from the beginning of time? What do you think? If you're new with us, when I ask a question, you get to answer. So what do you think? If God's in control, why should we pray anyway? For hope. For hope, okay. Why else? To show our faith to him? Okay. Yeah, out of act of obedience to remind him? Yeah, good. Okay, so he's sovereign even over our prayers. Okay, good. What else? Okay, for gratefulness shows, a, shows our thankfulness, our gratefulness. Yeah, what else? He sovereignly commands our 
Okay, so he's sovereignly told us to. Okay, good. What else? Okay, so our hearts to be in line with his will. Okay, good. So when we see him answer our prayer, our faith is increased because we attribute it to him, not to circumstance or just... Okay, yeah, when we, we pray, we're reminded that he's actually in control, and then when it happens, we're like, oh, that was actually God, not something that just, like, happened by accident. Yeah, good. The same thing, Jeremy was saying about for God's glory as well in that moment, that not only increases our faith, but his glory, we were able to link up our prayer to his action. It's not just random. Yeah, we see over and over again in this passage the idea of glory, bringing the Father glory, and it's that idea that we, we actually link it to him and give him his proper due to that. Yeah, good, good, yeah. Thinking. We're so prone to pride and wanting to have our own way since the beginning of time at Adam and Eve. Prayer is actually a step to humility. Like, I am not in control, God is. It's an actual, like, heart change of, if I'm praying, that means I really believe I'm not in control. I really believe that I'm in that humble position and that God is bigger than me. Yeah, it shows our need, it shows our humility that he's actually the one that's actually doing it and that we're in desperate need of him. Yeah. Yeah, for help, for sure. Yeah. It further bonds that uh, relationship. The idea that God wants a relationship with us as we pray. It's like we're coming to Him in um, intimacy and, and getting to know Him as He's like as He knows us. So it kind of bonds that relationship. Yeah, it's an intimate relationship. It's a it's a it's a talking to, you know, if you're the bride, it's a talking to the husband in many ways, right? Yeah. I want to read a quote from Spurgeon because people that are smarter than us actually have thought about these things before. Um, Kind of crazy, huh? Um, So Spurgeon says this. It says, Our full belief that God has foreknown and predestined everything that happened in heaven above or in earth beneath, and that foreknown station of a reed by the river is as fixed as the station of a king, and the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their course predestination embraces the great and the little and reaches into all things. The question is, wherefore pray? Might it not be logical, be asked, wherefore breathe or eat or move or do anything? We have an answer which satisfies us, namely that our prayers are in the predestination and that God has as much ordained his people's prayers as anything else. And when we pray, we are producing links of the chain of ordained facts. Destiny decrees that I should pray, and destiny decrees that it shall be answered, and the answer comes to me. I think if we look all over Scripture, over and over again, we see that God is in control. Right? In Proverbs 16, it says, The lot is cast into his lap, but every decision is from the Lord. In Daniel 2, it says, He removes kings and he establishes kings. So this idea from everything from, from Trump being president now, to the person who wins the lottery on a daily basis, to you and I living in this city, they're all in God's sovereign plan to reveal himself and to reveal his glory to people. And so what Spurgeon is saying is that his sovereign plan also includes our prayers. Our praying, then, is, is no less a, a gracious act, a gracious work of God, that is the same as him, his graciousness in regenerating us and regenerating our souls. Hebrews, Hebrews says this, and he writes that he writes his will on our hearts, and he works in us what is pleasing and in sight. So as we think about this, so what we do, we pray, and freely from our own wills, but God does this as part of our sovereign plan. Which brings in kind of a second question into this. Um, 
And one of those verses, how these verses are often misused. If I pray, then it should happen, right? So why, why aren't my prayers being answered? I've been praying for this thing for so long, and it didn't happen. What happened? Did God not hear? Is he just despondent? Does he not care? Or, or maybe we need someone more holy than myself to pray. I often, at times I'm walking around the school here, and people are like, oh, you're a pastor, can you pray for this? It's like I have a, a better connection to God than someone else. Like, that's not true. As we, th- as we think through Scripture, Scripture has a bunch of possible answers for this. And I want to look at a few of them real quick. In James 4, 3, it says this. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so you may spend it on your pleasures. So maybe why we don't have, see our prayers answered is because we have man-centered prayers, not God-centered prayers. Or, or got man-centered motives, not God-centered motives. Or maybe it's this. Maybe we, maybe we pray and we don't believe that God will actually answer it. That's what Mark 11 says this. It says, all these things which you pray and ask and believe that you have received them from them and they will be granted to you. 1 John 5 gives us another answer. It says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So maybe the problem is that we're, we're not praying according to God's will. Or maybe like Luke 18, it, it says, don't lose heart. And so maybe when we pray, God wants us to continue praying as part of our obedience and to not lose heart. Or maybe like Daniel 10, it says that God is in fact doing far more than, than we think every time we pray. It's almost like imagining that God is putting in one piece of, of mosaic along the way. And as we look back over time, we'll see how he actually answered prayer. In James 4, actually right before that verse we read, it actually says maybe you don't pray at all. Maybe you just pray like once about it. James kind of calls that out as well. Well, I want to go back and look at our passage because I think in verse 7, we'll see that maybe there's something else that may be missing that Jesus is trying to reveal to us here. Could it be that the matter of prayer is so mysterious and so wonderful that there's actually a deeper, fuller way of relating to God in prayer that we might not have actually experienced yet? Maybe we have yet to discover corporately how God's word and prayer work so powerfully together in producing fruit in our lives. Look at what verse 7 says again for us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. See the connection here between God's word and prayer. If, your word, if my words abide in you then, you, then you ask and it's answered. So what do you think about this idea? What do you think it means to abide in God's word? What would, what would that look like if we would say this person is abiding in God's word? What do you think that would look like? Anna? What's that? Obedience. Okay. That's a result of that. Yeah, what would it look like to just like a person that abides in God's word. They read it. Okay, yeah, that would probably be the first part, right? They actually have to, like, read it, spend some time with it. I think it has to do a little bit, I was thinking there's, like, motivation. Like, I'm not just reading it to check a box off that I'm a good Christian because I'm reading the Bible. Like, I actually need it because, like, I need it. Like, I need the transfer. I understand the need of the transforming power of the word of God. It's not legalism, it's grace. It's just grace that I would consume the Word of God. It would be who I was, not, oh, I, I did my devotional for today. I'm a good Christian. It's such a different motivation of why I would read. 
Yeah, abiding in it is more of a value piece. We're valuing it. We're, we're seeing it almost as a meal. Like if I don't, if I don't eat this, I'm not going to survive, right? It's probably more than just reading it five minutes a day, right? Yeah, good. What else? Going back to what Jess said at the beginning about in her translation, abiding was remaining. Like if we were really remaining in God's word, I don't think we can technically live with other people and be reading it at every moment, but it means that it's in our brains. Like it is constantly in our brains and speaking to us at all times, which means that we have to have those other pieces of reading it and reading it often to learn, not just to have to do it, so that it can then come out of our brains as the spirit prompts. Yeah, so it's reading, it's thinking about, it's meditating, and it's using it in all areas of life. Yeah, good. What else? Putting it up against, like, our fleshly thinking, right? And, like, I think in my mind I put my response, and then there's a line, and then it's God's response, right? And it's putting it's it's putting it into practice and making it real. Like, it's, this is not just things that were written on manuscripts a long time ago. It's for now, it's for today, it's for my heart, it's for this world. And so what does that look like next to my thoughts and this world that's fallen? So it's like this constant matching up so that it speaks over whatever's on the left, which is usually not Yeah, it's comparing them, right? And then actually saying, oh, this one actually is more valuable and actually speaks into this other one. Yeah, good, good, yeah. Um, for me, abiding in, in the Word in Christ is to recognize when I have the question, why? cancel those questions and in faith and obedience and the richness of the food I want God I, 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 I obey and do yeah, it informs those other things yeah good yeah for sure um, it's hiding it in our hearts because it says we hide your word in our heart like we hide our words in our hearts Yes, yeah, so this idea of abiding, abiding isn't just reading it, but it's like having it inside of us so that we continue to like bring it back up and God reminds us of those things and, and we abide in those things, abide in his truths. Yeah, good. I think the first psalm um, tells us a lot of things that you're talking about. And one of the things that strikes me is that, well, what is the alternative if we are not abiding in the truth of God? Then we're we're accepting the concept of the ungodly, we're standing in the way of sinners, and we're sitting, we're sitting in the scoffers. Yeah, the opposite of that really is abiding in everything else outside of God, isn't it? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I think as we think about this, I'm not sure if I've, if I've completely figured out the dynamics of God's word abiding in me, releasing me to actually um, to see prayers answered. Right? And just to be clear here, what I'm saying and what Jesus is saying here, it's not if you read more or if you memorize more, then you're going to see prayers answered. It's not just, Jesus is not being transactional here. He's not saying, if you do an X number of minutes of Bible reading, then you're going to earn an X number of answered prayers. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about identity. He's talking about value. He's saying, if you abide in me, that's really an identity statement. He's saying, He's saying, in my life is where fruit comes from. Out of my identity, out of, out, of my, out of my identity that I gave you, then we bear fruit. We live in that identity, and that demonstrates what we value then. It demonstrates that, that, that we're valuing Jesus. The opposite is true as well, right? When we live in our own identity, it quickly reveals what we value, right? How we live and how we pray often demonstrates what we value. 
Right? What we pray for often is, is, a, is, a, is a value-based statement. And so Jesus is, Jesus is telling you, he's saying, value my words. Demonstrate that in your life. The idea is that when we value what he values, we're going to pray for what he values. And we'll see that happen because he'll receive glory in it. Right? Because it's because it's valuing him. So effective prayer there is an outflow of the fullness of the word of God abiding in us. What if we truly believed that his word was infinitely valuable? That we savored it, that we, that we really wanted to look at the revealing preciousness and, and realized without him we get weaker and weaker and weaker. And without his words abiding in us, we, we, we start to value the things that the world values. Kind of like what John was saying. So I don't have the answers to all this, but I want to discuss a few possibilities of how the word abiding in us might yield to answered prayer. And I want to go back to those verses that I mentioned earlier um, of why prayers aren't answered and connect them to abiding in the word. So John, 1 John 5.14 says this, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we said maybe the problem was that we're, we're not praying according to God's will. So now if we take abiding in God's word and we move that into that, his word then functions as a, as a guide to our prayers. In other words, perhaps if, if abiding in the words of Christ in our lives directs us then to God's will, and in then, then we pray for that. Then we pray according to God's will because we've prayed according to his words and then it comes true. Earlier in, in James chapter 4, we said maybe we have man-centered prayers or God, not God-centered motives. As you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, if we apply, apply word of abiding in God's word, then his word then functions to transform us morally and spiritually so that we're walking in the path of love, where, we're, where, we're, where God does answer prayer, where, rather than in the path of selfishness or the path where he doesn't answer prayer. Right, John 8 tells us the same thing, right? that the word of God sets us free from sin. And so then as we abide in the word of God, the sanctifying power of the word is then that leads to holiness and leads to love and leads to answered prayer because we're praying with God-centered motives. Right? If our problem is like Mark 11, that we're praying what we don't believe that God will actually answer it. I know that I've prayed that before many times. Like, uh, if you want to do this, like, but I don't really think that he can, or that I think he can, but I don't think he ever will. If we're praying with this idea that we don't believe God will answer it, if the word abiding us functions uh, then to remind us of his truth, to build up our faith, to, to, to build up the, the, uh, the, the foundation that lays hold to the answers of prayers in our life. Romans ten seventeen says this, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If faith then is essential for answered prayer, and if abiding in the word is what sustains faith, then maybe what Jesus means is that if his word abides in us, then we'll have answers to our prayers because it's a faith piece that we've actually believed that he can do those things. Are you starting to see how we can take these, this abiding in God's word and, and fit it into, into all these problems that we have with prayer? I think even as we think about this goal of praying for, um, for not yet believers and discipling them, maybe abiding in God's word actually directs our prayers of what to pray for them. Maybe abiding in God's word actually produces fruit when we're communicating with them. 
so that his fruit would then be born into their lives. And so it's not our words that we're saying to them, it's actually his words. These two are really closely connected. But what I also want us to see here, what's clear in this context of John 15, is that bearing fruit for God's glory is really the main concern. It's the main goal here. Verse 2 says, says, take a look at this. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4 says, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you abide in me. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches, who abides in me, is he who will bear much fruit. Verse 8 But this is for my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So the aim of the passage here is for more fruit, for more of God's glory. And so the path of fruit bearing is our abiding in Christ, abiding in his word. And and then prayer then in verse 7 is an essential part of that of the abiding in Christ. So we have his word in us, we abide it and so that we can then bear more fruit for God's glory. Now, what's also clear in this passage is that the fruit of conversion isn't the only fruit to bear. I think oftentimes when we think about we want to see fruit born in someone's life, like it's, it's just about conversion, right? But it's very clear in this verse that it's more than that. And verse 11 says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so joy is a product of abiding in God's word. It's a product of the fruit of prayer in our lives. In verse 12 through 17, love is identified as a fruit of abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. And so love and joy are also fruits of what looks like to abide in God's word and to pray in God's word. Which makes sense, right? That, that when we're living as, as God, with God as our highest value and what he says defines us and, and motivates us and moves us into action, we live a life that is way more abundant, We live a life that's full of love and joy because we know that the God of the universe, the one who's already spoken his identity over us, allows us to, defines us now, which allows us to live in freedom. It's what Jesus promises us. What he also promises us is suffering. Now, wait a minute, right? Like you liked what we were talking about with love and joy. That all sounded great. Abundant life sounded great. But then then answering prayers also sounds like suffering. Look at what Jesus says in verse 18 through 21. He goes on here and talks about this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me... They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. You see, I think when we think about answered prayers, it often looks like comfort in our minds. It often looks like the things that we want being happened the way that we want them. But that's not the promise of Jesus here. Answered prayers do not lead to an easier life in, in our terms, in, in our words. Those are, those are the types of prayers that actually probably fall into the James chapter 4, praying with the wrong motives. You see, but the good news of the gospel is that, that Jesus' answered prayers actually led him to death. 
Jesus answered prayers actually ultimately with this ultimate act of love and sacrifice where he lays down his life for his enemies, for you and for me, and for every other person that ever walked on this planet. That's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what Jesus' answers prayers led to. Jesus' answers prayers brought glory to God through suffering. Out of his pain, the fruit of life was born. Jesus was cut off. Jesus was pruned by the Father so that you and I might be grafted into the vine. So that then our prayers might be answered. So that you and I might now have the right value for all things. Again, that we might now abide in His Word. That we might, that we might live in Him once again. And that's really good news. As we think about this idea of purposefully discipling in prayer for not yet believers, I want to encourage you to abide in God's Word in this year. And I want you to really to earnestly pray that, that God would make that a part of your life, that He would get the glory in your life and in His. And out of obedience, then we would live boldly and that we proclaim boldly in love and in joy, even in the midst of rejection and even in the midst of suffering. Because that's what this life is all about. Jesus says that, that we're not different than he is. And if Jesus suffered, we're going to suffer. If Jesus' words were rejected and his words now abide in you, your words will be rejected as well. And I remind us that that's the case. But we continue to pray. We continue to ask the Father to do the will of the Son and to glorify himself in people's lives. And so I want to encourage you as you think about reading scripture and as you think about um, abiding in God's word to really make that a piece of your life and that we would then see our prayers change, the way that we pray would change, the way that we interacted with people would change and that his fruit would actually bear in our life and in the lives of others. So I want to pray for us and then we're going we're gonna to head to communion. Uh, Father, I thank you that, um, that you do answer prayers, that we don't just have a hope that is meaningless, a hope that um, that we, that is kind of insecure, but we have a secure hope, a hope that, that you are alive, a hope that you do answer prayers, that you do keep your promises. Lord, I pray that you would align our hearts, that you would align our prayers um, to the things that you desire, that you would bring more glory in the city, that we would see more people come to you, that we would see lives change, that you would redeem them and restore them, that you would grow your kingdom, that you would grow your family in this city. Lord, we pray also that you would, you would produce much love and much joy in our own hearts and in the hearts of many others. Lord, we ask that the fruit of the Spirit would, would bear, um, would, be, would be, be born more and more in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you, um, you, would, you would align our prayers to your, to your heart. Lord, I pray that as we read your word, you, your spirit would open our eyes to see the things that you want to teach us and that we would pray through those things and that we would ask you in faith, knowing that you can accomplish and that you do accomplish and that you do answer our prayers. And so, Father, we thank you um, this morning that we were able to look at this and see this in John, and we pray that you would continue to teach us and guide us as we go to the communion table. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.